for um, giving so much time. I appreciate that. This is fun to be here this evening to see some faces from this morning as well from up in the Boca area and uh, we had a great time with you all and this is a great grand finale to the time in South Florida, although can you actually call it that when you've only spent like four days in the area, but nonetheless it's been good. Lord willing, tonight we'll we'll aim to drive as much of the 11 hours back, but we'll see how uh, how long the energy it sustained. I can tell you right now, my wife will not be doing the driving. Um, <laughs> we have a joke going on ever since. Ever since marriage, I don't know what happened, but um, she gets in the driver's seat, and about an hour in, she's like, um, I can't stay awake. So I was like, just sleep from the beginning. So it works out well that way. But uh, we are really excited to be here together. Haven's changed quite a bit since uh, right before COVID. Um, I guess that's the last time we were here, February. I, I believe it was like a month before. And of course, you already know that we have another one on the way. And we also have another one that's with the Lord since then, um, through miscarriage. So anyway, a lot has happened in our family, but thank you for your prayers. Uh, one more thing I want to say before we dive into the Word of God, just because I will give you a bit of an update. Many of you are very familiar with what I'm about to share, but I still want to say it in case you aren't. And that is that uh, we've been praying over four countries for the last... Since since we got married, um, and even a little bit before that, since the batons were passed in Niger, and uh, it was obvious that that work was going to go on, and it was time to move on to the next place, and so we've been praying over four countries, uh, Maldives, Bhutan, Mauritania, and Bangladesh, and over the course of time, the Lord has clearly led. When I say that, I have to then put in a little side note. If you want to know what clearly led means, you're going to have to ask us, because I'm not just randomly saying that, but He has clearly led. And he's pointing us towards Bangladesh. And so we're really excited about this next step. Lord willing, we move full-time in August of 22. So a little over a year away. I'm going to finish up what we've committed to on this side of the world. Um, a little bit of summer ministry next year, Lord willing, and then head on over there. Uh, let me just say this because I think that it'll, it'll facilitate more prayer. And that is, let me give you a brief one-minute introduction or maybe 90 seconds introduction into Bangladesh, which I hope will just prime the pump to pray, all right? So Bangladesh is a country smaller than the state of Georgia. Um, so we're not talking a massive country. But now let's make it even smaller. 25% at least cannot be lived in due to flooding. So now we're talking three-quarters the size of Georgia. So you're probably not thinking much in your mind until I start talking about people. There are a hundred, now I'm giving you the low estimate. So if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm doing the opposite. It's actually way more impressive than what I'm saying. There's 165 million people that live in Bangladesh. To give you an idea, it's about the seventh largest country in the world, seventh or eighth largest country. And uh, if you want to get an idea, that means half the United States population in three quarters of Georgia. If the United States was as populated as Bangladesh, we would have about 11 billion people in the U.S. 11 billion, you heard me correctly. The world has 7.8, 11 billion people. To give you an idea of the capital city, Dhaka, it's three times as crowded as Manhattan. So that that gives you a little bit of an idea, triple Manhattan, and you've got what Dhaka is like. Um, But more significant than all of that, it is by far. And when I say by far, it's like Michael Phelps racing against high schoolers back in his prime. By far, it's the largest unreached people group in the world. And that's not a positive thing whatsoever. But 130 million Bengalis in Bangladesh, that's not the whole population, that's just one people group, are in the unreached category. Second largest unreached category in the world, the Japanese at 100 million. Third largest are the Bengalis again in India. So it's actually number one and number three in the world. 
Um, and again, what a tragedy. And let me just say it like this. We're commended from Overbrook Gospel Chapel in Greenville, South Carolina. The other day I got the Yellow Pages book and I thought, you know what? Let's just say it was just the Yellow Pages just for our little area, not just for the upstate. Within 30 minutes of my house, I counted 475 evangelical churches. I don't even know how many there are because Overbrook Gospel Chapel wasn't even listed and it's definitely an evangelical church. So I'm not sure how many, but I know at least 475 were listed within a half an hour of my house. We're looking to move to an area of Bangladesh that's got 5 million people. And when I say what I'm about to say, please let it sink into your hearts. Not one, not one, not one evangelical church among 5 million people in this area. 5 million people. Now, hang on. You know how many believers are known to be in that area? I'm not talking denomination, please. This is not about brethren or Baptists or Pentecostal. I'm talking people that believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that entire area, 5 million people, the best estimate is 12 believers. That's the highest estimate. There's a lower one. That's the high estimate, 12 believers. Do you understand what I'm saying? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Just you guys right there, 5 million people. There are the believers known in that area. I'm not saying there aren't more, but that's how many are known of. There's a desperate opportunity, I'll say. Not need, because everywhere's got need. You've got need here. Will you pray? At least will you pray? That's what I'm asking. Will you pray? Will you pray fervently for this work in Bangladesh? The Lord doesn't need us to go to make it happen. We're under no facade that somehow we're like a necessary piece to the puzzle. But I'll tell you this much. He's already said the harvest is ripe. He said he's not willing any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's already told us to go. So we don't need any more handwriting on the wall. It's already there. It's in the word of God. So what we want is a closed door if it's not him. So please just pray. If it's not of him for us to go, pray that he shuts the door and we'll rejoice. And then if it is of him, he just keeps giving us green lights. So thank you for joining us in prayer for Bangladesh. That's That was way more than 90 seconds. I think I did about 300 seconds, but we'll stick with that. Um, we're going to head to the Word of God, which has um, just been thrilling my heart, what, what I get to share with you this evening, something that's really impacting our home um, for Priyanka and I and... Uh, yeah, and, and we're just excited to, to leave a few of these thoughts here with you. I will just mention I brought some copies of Prosper. You might remember it came out since last time I was here, but it was the book I wrote during cancer from Psalm chapter 131, Angles of the Blessed Man, and then Dive In, which is a little um, Bible study resource book. Um, if you want to take one, they're back near Priyanka, so feel free to grab one of those. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles 20. And uh, we will uh, have another word of prayer here in just a few minutes. But as you go to Second Chronicles 20, I can say that without a doubt, the one of the greatest tools in my life for growth in the Lord in the past 26 months, but really I could say in the last decade as well, other than marriage or maybe even equal to marriage, has been becoming a dad. There is absolutely no doubt about it. I, I feel like every day there is something that I've seen in the Word of God my entire life that comes alive because of Haven. And I'm looking forward to seeing another dimension of Haven with siblings. And what will that teach me about the character of God? But, you know, my, my daughter likes to tell stories, right, Lola? Right, Luca? And she likes to tell the same stories over and over. In fact, I think this morning at breakfast she was telling some story and 
you were finishing her phrases because you've already heard these stories a few times this weekend. Mind you, completely fabricated, not completely fabricated stories. Usually there's a couple details of truth, but the rest is very much her imagination. But that being said, I, I like hearing her, her, her speak, although there are some things that she says over and over and eventually you're kind of like, all right, can we move on to the next topic? She has this thing she's doing as of the last two weeks where she says, I have a question. There is no question. She has no idea what it means to have a question, but she has a question, and then she just goes on to say something else, and then I have a question will follow in about 10 seconds. So that's one of those ones where kind of like either ask a question or just move on to something else you're saying. But there is a statement that she likes to say that I never get tired of. In fact, there's something about it that just kind of makes me smile every time, and and literally I, I hope that she keeps saying it her entire life. And it's just two words. You've heard her say it multiple times over the course of the past few days. And, and that is the words, thank you, thank you. She loves just to say thank you. Sometimes she says thank you in situations where you're like, that doesn't exactly go. Um, it's just randomly, thank you. You correct her for something and she'll say, thank you. Um, I don't know, you heard lots of situations where she just like, thank you. Um, and, and it's interesting because obviously she hears it being said around her and we're also trying to um, train her to be a thankful girl, but thank you. But then as I started to think about how my daughter says thank you and it brings joy to my heart in hearing her say thank you, it translated over into the passage where we're going to be this evening. Because there's something beautiful about thanksgiving and praise, but not just something beautiful about it. There's actually a certain power in our life which is accessible, that's only accessible through praise, through thanksgiving. And this evening, I want to suggest to you that God actually has reserved a certain, uh, and I don't like to just use the word power because it sounds almost mythical. That's not what I mean. I want to suggest to you that if I can phrase it like this, God wants the pumps of our life primed with praise. In other words, what gets, uh, what, where, where we start to see action is where praise leads the way. And this will all become very clear as we go to the Word of God. So tonight we're going to look at a simple, simple thing in the Word of God, something that anybody can do. But if we actually embrace what the Word of God is teaching us here, I truly believe, truly believe, like there's really no doubt in my mind that we'll leave these doors on a Sunday night and our life will be distinctly different, changed I, I, change, please. I'm not being melodramatic. I mean, changed if we choose to intentionally apply what the Word of God is going to teach us. So you can let me know if I'm being melodramatic after the next 44 minutes. But until then, I want to challenge you to believe that if you take God's Word at face value and be willing to let Him change your heart this evening, and my responsibility is to also let Him change my heart, I believe that after tonight, there will be something distinctly different in the way you walk with the Lord. So let's go to the Word of God. We're going to read just a few verses, and then we'll open up in in prayer, although those few verses is not what we're going to limit our reading to. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mayunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. 
Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is, Ein Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And get this last part. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Father, this is your word. This evening I'm asking for you to do what you do when the word of God is opened, and that is to change our life. To again, if we know you are ready to conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ, that we might enjoy him more fully, know him more intimately, and serve him more faithfully. But also I would ask that if there's anyone here that has yet to accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on their behalf for salvation, that even tonight they would realize victory has been won and they can live in that victory through Christ. So, Father, please do your work. And I pray that only Jesus Christ would get all the glory. He's the only one worthy. In his name we pray. Amen. As we dive in this passage, I, I want to pull out four main aspects of praise. And again, priming the pump with praise, but four main aspects of praise. But just as a little bit of background here, we don't need to know too much background to the story, except that Jehoshaphat is the king that's being attacked. And, and you can almost see that it's, in a sense, a very personal attack. There's two times in the passage, one in verse 1, one in verse 2, where it says they're coming against Jehoshaphat. And then it says again, against you, speaking of Jehoshaphat. So in a sense, we have a very much a, um, a personal attack against the king of Judah, although it's against the people of Judah as well. I also want you just to note a little bit of geography because this is significant when it comes to the aspect of praise. And that is this, that we find the location where these armies are. And it says in Hazan Tamar, that is Ein Gedi. So when we're talking marching miles, we're only about 15 miles away from where Jehoshaphat is. 15 miles for a military to walk is not a great distance at all. 
maximum one day if they want to do it like that. So the point being is that attack is imminent. Don't think, okay, he's got time to process and plan and come up with a lot of different ideas. The reality is an attack from three armies is imminent. Now, the reason I paint the picture at the beginning is because I think all of us can now place ourselves in this passage in a very real way, recognizing that we are all in situations that we wish we were not in. Now, I don't know what that looks like. For some, it, it could be a hell situation. For others, it could be uh, maybe where their kids are in life, and it's a painful situation. For maybe somebody else, it's an economic situation. For others, it might be an emotional situation that nobody here knows about, but you've been wrestling with discouragement, depression, anxiety, and you're in a situation where you wish you weren't. You're feeling attacked from all sides. And the thing about it is, if you logically put yourself in the shoes of Jehoshaphat at this point of the story, how would you respond having three armies 15 miles away from you? Well, I would say logically, I would start planning my defense. I would probably logically start making sure I'm gathering the right people. I would go straight to action. But what I want you to notice is he does go straight to action. But look at verse three. Then, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Let me just tell you, it's fear wasn't the problem. It's what you do with your fear. Do you let your fear drive you? Or rather, do you let God have your fears and drive your life? And that's what he's going to do. Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And then proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. Well, what we're going to see here, the first thing I want you to note, if you are taking notes, is I want you to notice the priority of praise. The priority of praise in Jehoshaphat's life. And, and, and Jehoshaphat means God has judged. And what I appreciate about that is what we're going to see in this passage is he's really looking for the judgment of God. He's really entrusting his future to God. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But please just notice the priority of praise. Here he is in this crisis moment. But he chooses to let praise be the priority. And he specifically is going to choose to let praise through prayer, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, be the priority. And I appreciate this because please understand something about the character of God. I think we sometimes can have a mentality in the church where there can be a legitimate fear in our life. And that legitimate fear in our life, we almost treat it like, well, you don't have to be afraid because God's with you. All right, there's truth to that. But the solution is not to say what you're fearing is not legitimate. Have you noticed that Jesus doesn't do that throughout scripture? When the disciples are afraid or when someone's afraid, Jesus doesn't say your fear is illegitimate. Instead, he always points them. I think always is a correct word. You certainly can do your research and point me to where I'm not correct on that. But he points them to the bigger picture, not to the fact that their fear is illegitimate. So for instance, on the sea, when they're afraid and the storm, he doesn't say, guys, you're not getting wet. He doesn't say the water's not coming in the boat. He doesn't say that, 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 that we're on the verge of sinking, that, that we're not on the verge of sinking. He doesn't pretend like the situation's not happening. How about a story like second Kings chapter six with Elisha and his servant, when his servant says, we're surrounded. You know what Elisha doesn't say? He doesn't say, no, we're not. We're not surrounded. Yeah, they were. But in every context with that type of fear, what does God through his servant or through the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what do they say? What, what, what do they say? They say, either I am with you or there are more with us than with them. The point is not what we see is the problem. The point is we don't see enough. 
there's a bigger picture. And that's why we can praise. And that's why there's a priority of praise in this passage. Because you see, praise is not to ignore what you're going through. Praise is to see the bigger picture of what's actually going on. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat is about to do through prayer. Now, I read the prayer to you, but I want you to notice a couple details about the prayer because I think this is very significant. And I want to just suggest, I I can suggest it for Boulevard, I can suggest it for Boca, whatever you do, that's between you and the Lord. But I want to suggest a, a format for your prayer meetings and for your prayer life. And you might say, that's a bold thing for a random person to come in and suggest. But but hold on. You're welcome. It's free because it's from the Word of God. (laughs) Here's what it says. I'm not going to read the whole prayer again, but he starts praying. And I want you to notice verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? He keeps going on. Then in verse 7, he says, did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of the land? And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. And then look at verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom... All right, pause. Here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that the first thing that he discusses is God's attributes. Next, he's going to discuss God's actions in the past. And then finally, he's going to lay out the enemies that are approaching him. So here's what I want you to notice. 60%, the first 60% of his prayer never mentions his enemies and never mentions his problem. Now, I think this is very significant because this is really where faith is strengthened. And this also shows forth the priority of praise in our life. Imagine if our prayer life, whether it be personal prayer or whether it be marital prayer or whether it be corporate prayer like here, imagine if our prayer life, every time you pray, The first half of your prayer is just telling God who he is and what he's done. Now, you might say, why? What's the point of that? Well, first of all, the first point is God loves to hear it. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes with a couple other cross-references. So God does love to hear the praise of his people. But there's something else it does. It puts things into perspective. See, when we focus so much on our enemies, what tends to start to ruminate in our life? That would be fear. But what happens when we focus on the character and power of God is we actually see a very contrasting thing occur. And that is we start to realize our enemies really aren't that big of a deal compared to who our God is and what he's done and what he yet can do. We, we, when we pray for Bangladesh, same thing we would do with Niger. Uh, now, now when we have like our, our Zoom meetings, and by the way, you're welcome to come anytime. It's only once a month and we just get, we, we, we don't do it on Zoom because of COVID. Nothing to do with COVID. We're on Zoom because people are in random places around the world praying. I just have to clarify that detail. Um, but we have these, these prayer meetings. These ones are only two hours long. So we're not talking all night or anything like that. But the first half of the prayer meeting, we don't even pray for Bangladesh. I mean, it might get mentioned in one or two prayers, but it's not the focus. All we do for the first hour, and we'll do it in like different ways, but all we do for the first hour is tell God who he is. And it's a beautiful time. And let me tell you, by the time we get to hour number two and we start to pray over this nation of Bangladesh, I guarantee you our prayers are way bigger because we start praying to the size of our God rather than to the size of our faith, if that makes sense. 
In other words, we're praying based on who our God is and what He can do, not praying based on my feeble vision and what I somehow think I bring to the equation. If that's what I'm praying for, I'm telling you, I'm going to pray for a very small small area of Bangladesh and very minimal activities. And, and so what we see here is the priority of praise. I want you to see eventually he does get to pray over these issues. But even when he does, how does he conclude it in verse 12? He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, I'm going to skip forward quite a bit here because I want to get to where we want to focus. You might think that was where we wanted to focus, but we're just working towards our main focus. So as we walk down, they start praying. Everybody's praying. In verse 13, Judah stood before the Lord, get this, with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Please, this is not the message. Not the message, but it can be a message if you want it to be. We need to make sure that as we approach the Lord, that we're including our children in this journey, that this is a family affair. I'm so thankful to have the kids in here tonight, even if none of them, they're hearing me. They might not be listening, but they are hearing. Uh, but just having them here, praying together. Oh, wow. I love that the people of Judah came together corporately to seek the face of God. That made a big impact in my life, I'll tell you, growing up. My parents were very big on including us in the ministry that God had called them to in Senegal. And there were many times that I didn't want to be included, but I was included. But I'll tell you, over the years, it did make a big impact. Whether my dad took me out to random villages to show the Jesus film on the side of a mosque, and I'm sitting up on the roof rack running the Super 8 projector with hundreds of people crowded around the van. Just There were times that we started getting rocks launched at us, and like we got people just jumping on the back of the car, like racing out before we all get stoned. I'm not joking either. Like These are legit stories. But, but I'm, I'm thankful that like we got to just be together in this stuff. Well, I love that when they came to pray and fast, even the little ones and the children were there. But then what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. What happened is what happens when we pray. God answers. And you know what's interesting? God didn't answer Jehoshaphat. He actually spoke through another guy named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel, you know what Jehaziel means? It means one who looks to God. I think that's great because that is the person God's going to speak to. God's going to speak to the one who looks to him. So we got Jehaziel, but I also appreciate Jehoshaphat's humility because he takes, he, he, he's okay with the fact that, okay, we're seeking God's face. Oh, he's going to communicate through you. What did he say? That's, I know this is not dispensationally, not whatsoever. This is not the body of Christ. This is not the church, but he does the same thing in the church. He gives us different gifts. He gives us different responsibilities. And you know what? He communicates through different people. And can we rejoice when he communicates through someone other than ourself? Can we rejoice when he maybe speaks through a, 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 a unlikely candidate? Remember, we are workers together. We are family. And so I appreciate that when Jehoshaphat hears the word of God from Jehaziel, he accepts it. He embraces it. To me, that's a great lesson for my own life. Am I looking for, am I willing to receive from others Direction, guidance, of course, based on the word of God. But they're seeking his face. He answers. Well, what's the word? The word for in verse 15. 
Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. All right, so he bows his head to the ground. They fall down before the Lord. They worship the Lord. Now look at verse 20. They rose early in the morning. They went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe as prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. And say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. If first we had the priority of praise, the second thing I want you to write down is this. We now have the placement of praise. The placement of praise. Now the placement of praise is, is really beautiful. And you probably have noticed this many times before and had numerous speakers or podcasts where you've heard this. But I want to draw out the placement of praise In this passage, look at verse 21. Notice, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praised him in holy attire. And where did they place these people? They placed them before the army. Now, please just think through this logically. What's happening? They're going into battle against not one army, not two armies, but three armies. And what or who is leading the way into battle. The Lord already said you're not going to fight, but you are going to go into battle. You're going into battle, but I'm fighting. You're basically going to watch me win. But you still need to show up. And we're going to see how important it was for them to show up, to walk on the Word of God. See, as Christians, sometimes we can be kind of a fatalistic approach of God will do His stuff. Well, I didn't mean that disrespectfully, by the way, God will do his stuff. You know what I mean, though? God's going to do what he promised he would do, but but we can almost have this approach of, so why do I even need to go forward? And we need to walk on the word, and we're going to see that as they walk on the word, that's actually when the power of victory was unleashed, and we'll get to that verse. We're not quite there yet. But notice the placement of praise. They put the choir before the soldiers. Now, now this is totally illogical from any human perspective. But what I want you just to simply notice here is that praise is what is to lead our life. How many battles are we fighting today in our world? When I say battles, it might be moral battles. It might be social battles. It might be this or that. There are battles all over the place. But what if? What if we, as followers of Jesus Christ, instead of trying to fight all of these battles with earthly weapons... Or even through, let's say, tactical methods, apologetics. I'm not not bashing anything here. All I'm saying is, what if instead we would walk into battle with praise leading the way? Now, now I think this is very significant because when you go to, I believe it's Psalm 33.1. Um, let me verify this reference here. Um, Psalm... Well, let's just, let me let me just check. But what what do we learn? We learn that praise befits the righteous. Praise befits the righteous. And I just want to make sure I have the proper 
Yes, Psalm 33, 1. We're told praise befits the righteous. Let me say it like this. Praise looks good on you. Praise looks good on you. In other words, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we learn He's our righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21, then what is to be that characteristic that just symbolizes, shows forth you belong to Christ? It's praise. Praise befits the righteous. And I just wonder, what would it look like if we actively walked into the battles of this day in which we live, rather than coming in with this negative approach of what the world is doing, what if instead we exalted our God? What if instead we looked at His attributes, His power, and praised Him? What what would that do? Because uh, we're going to see in a minute that what that ultimately does, it does a couple things. One, it puts whatever enemy we're actually approaching in their own place. In other words, we do the opposite of Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers 13, you remember the spies, you know, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good, right? Well, the 10 that were bad, according to the song, what did they do? They exalted their enemies. They said, in, in the sight of our enemies, we were like grasshoppers. But what does Isaiah 40 say? It says, in the sight of God, we are like grasshoppers. What do they do? They put their enemies in the place of God. That's what happens when we lead by looking at our enemies. But when we flip it and we lead by looking at our God, our enemies actually start to fall into the very category that previously we were putting ourselves in in comparison to our enemies. Now, this is the significance of praise. But wait, 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 there's more. There's a second side. In Psalm 22, verse 3, let's just read this one. Psalm 22, 3, notice the other benefit of praise being placed as a leader, it says this, yet you are holy, get ready, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. Well, what do we learn here? God, he's enthroned in our life through praise. Wait, this is thrilling. I don't know if it's thrilling for you, but I, I get excited about this because we talk so frequently about, you know, um, making him Lord of your life. First of all, he is Lord. You're not going to make him Lord, but you can surrender to him as Lord of your life. You can surrender the throne of your life to him on a moment-by-moment basis. But what does that moment-by-moment basis look like? What does it look like to Lord reign in me, reign in your power? Like we would sing at youth group meetings back in the 90s. I don't know if we still sing it nowadays, but we used to sing that song. And what does this look like? Well, I'll tell you, it looks like praise because he says, I'm enthroned on the praises of Israel, my people. How beautiful. So not only does it put our enemies in their place, it also demonstrates in a very just evident way, Christ is on the throne of my life. Let me just ask you for a minute. This is a total side question, but I have time to ask it. I'll give you about 10, 15 seconds to think of it through. I want you to think about one person right now in your life, one person where you would undoubtedly say they are a person of praise. Don't answer out loud. Just think where when you see them, when you talk to them, man, Christ is enthroned. What what if that was you? What if when people thought of you, the first thing they would think of is not negativity, 
not discouraged. I'm more discouraged when I'm around that person. Not, not, not pessimistic. See, this is not about hiding from the reality of life. It's about recognizing the greater reality and Christ is on the throne. What if you were a person of praise? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. And that's not going anywhere. The Lord's good. And so we see he's enthroned. So we got placement, priority of praise, placement of praise. But now this is the part, this next third point is the part where as I was studying this passage, I literally had to take a break at this point because this just got, thrilled my heart. I know it might sound strange when somebody says that. It's going to be melodramatic. Is this a speaking style? Is this something you throw in a message? It's not. I, I just got so excited. So I want to share with you this part. I got so excited. The point's not going to sound exciting, but wait till it's explained. The third thing is the proclamation of praise. The proclamation of praise. And then watch out. Notice what it said in verse 21. It said that the singers, the choir, went before the army. They went before the army. They went before the... Okay, wait, wait. What happened before? What did God say before? God already said, I've got the battle. I'm fighting it. You're winning. All right? So that was guaranteed. Victory. So why are they even going into battle? Well, I want to suggest that there is a direct parallel to a New Testament passage that is going to bring out a spiritual truth for us this evening that will thrill your heart. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and keep your, keep, keep your finger over in 2 Chronicles 20, because we're not done over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, listen to verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Okay, uh, we can go on a little bit more. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? All right, think through this. He says that Christ is always leading us in triumphal procession. All right, hold on. Let's go on a little journey here. So, triumphal procession. What is a triumphal procession? A triumphal procession was a very ordinary thing. It was a victory parade. So, any battle that was won, they would have a triumphal procession. And when did it happen? It wasn't like, okay, let's organize on this day, kind of like, you know, these big, like when a team wins the World Series or a championship or whatever, they're like, we're going to have a parade on that. No, 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 not like, these are the guys coming back from war. So as they come back from war, as victors, there's going to be a triumphal procession. So people would crowd the streets to welcome back uh, the, the, the victors. But if you want to go back and read, you can read a lot of history books. So what I'm saying has got loads of background. So you can have fun and look at look this up yourself. But you're going to notice that triumphal processions had an order. Now, I, the order, um, I, I'll try to get it. Close to perfectly right, um, but even if I'm off one or two here, the point is not off. So you'll get that in a minute. So when they came back through, there was an order. There were the soldiers that would be walking. There would be the prisoners of war that would be right around there. I mean, shackles. Some of them are about to die. Like literally, they're going to be executed. They would have uh, they would they would have a, a group of people that are carrying the spoils of war. So they're like showing forth the 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 treasury that they've 
taken from the other country and, and, and what they're bringing into their own land. Then, get this, they would have the priests. And the priests, if you've ever been to any kind of Orthodox church, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox, Coptic, you've been in there, you smelled the incense. I mean, they're shaking that incense like it's going out of style. It's just like you walk in, and if you didn't have a headache before, you got one now. It's just, it, it permeates the place. And if you've ever been in one, you know I'm not exaggerating at all. It does. And... That's what this parade was because the priests are shaking the incense. Well, that's why in verse 16 it says this fragrance for some it was death to death, others life to life. Why? When the prisoners smell it, that's the smell of death. They're about to die or at least be put in the dungeon. Whereas the bystanders are like, this is great. That's the smell of victory. And then you have the priests and then you would have the the commanders on their chariots. But I hope you realize that I left out one detail of the parade. Because there's one detail of the prey that was always the same. And I think you probably can guess it. The detail of the prey that was always the same is who came in front. The musicians. Go look it up. Read Josephus. Read other historians. The musicians would lead the way. And that makes sense. They're drawing the crowd. But I want you to see that that's a triumphal procession that Christ always Always, you know what the word always means, right? Without fail, always leads us in. Now, think about it. What was Jehoshaphat doing back in 2 Chronicles 20? He was leading them in a triumphal procession. When he placed the singers in front of everyone else, you know what he was saying to those three armies? We've already won. We're not fighting for victory today. We're fighting from victory today. The battle is the Lord's and he's not losing. So the musicians are going forward first because it's already over. Do you realize that in our life in Christ, when we lead in praise, we are leading in triumphal procession into our problems? Do you realize we're doing the same thing to the world? When we get that call saying you have cancer and you lead and praise, what are you saying? You're saying cancer's not the last chapter of my life. When you see things going adverse ways in society and you lead forth in praise, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I know who is on the throne of the universe. That's why I call it the proclamation of praise. When we lead in praise, we are proclaiming to the world that our God reigns and He's not up for election in three years. Hallelujah. You realize that back in, 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 uh, if you read Deuteronomy 1 and the, and the, the land of Israel is outlined like from what river to what river and, and how much territory God promised to the people. Do you realize that the most land they ever claimed, ever claimed, and Jamel, maybe you'll remember this. I think we we touched on this really briefly at 26 below, like in in the first five minutes of it. So if you don't remember, I don't know what you were listening to. Come on. That was only a year and a half ago. But um, if the most that they ever claimed out of all the land God promised them in Deuteronomy 1 was in the United Kingdom of David, and the most they ever claimed was 10% of the land. It's the most they ever lived in. That was the most they ever lived in. Most of the time, it was way less than that. 
All right, think about this. We're told in Ephesians 1 that every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is ours in Christ. How many battlefields do we not even march into claiming the victory that's already been won for us, enjoying, if I can say, the territory of joy that God offers his people? But because we look at our enemies, we refuse to lead in triumphal procession. So there's a proclamation that's to take place. And we see Jehoshaphat do that. And then watch this next phrase, verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise. Do you get that? When they began to sing and praise. When? At the moment they began to sing and praise. What happened? The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. I love that phrase, when. When they began to sing and praise. Not before. Notice, there was no routing taking place until the music got going and the people led. I don't, I know God doesn't always work this way. What I mean by that is sometimes He routes without us leading in praise. And I'm thankful for that. But in this passage we see when. When they began to sing and praise. The Lord set an ambush against them. And what was this ambush? This ambush was beautiful. I mean, watch what happened. This is intense. Verse 24. When Judah came to the... Well, I guess you should know in 23 too. Um, it says that uh, the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them, uh, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Then verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Okay, wait, uh, does your Bible say there were dead bodies too? Because that's, that's not really a great translation. You're going to have a little number by the word there. And if you look down the bottom, you're going to see the word there is actually the word they. And that just sounds strange in English to say they were dead bodies, but that's the point. God routed them so much that there were not dead bodies. Because if I say, oh, there are dead bodies, well, you say, well, how many? This is not a situation where there were dead bodies. They are dead bodies. They were all dead. Every single one. There was nothing living. There was not one left. That's what it tells us. None escaped. So we're not going to say there were dead bodies. They were dead bodies. They were dead. When God routes, He routes. It's like the grasshoppers in the land of Egypt. When He said leave at that plague, it says not one grasshopper was left in the land of Egypt. Completely. I'm so thankful for the thoroughness of my God because when He says that He's separated my sins as far as the east is from the west, it means that He's dealt with every single sin that I've ever committed or ever would commit. And I'm completely forgiven. If he can take every grasshopper from the land of Egypt, if he routes every single enemy, I can tell you, he's dealt with every single one of your sins on the cross of Calvary as well. And so what do we see for our final point? Our final point, with priority of praise, placement of praise, the proclamation of praise. But now we come to the power of praise. What does the power of praise bring to our life? Well, the first thing we just mentioned, it brings a routing of our enemies, a routing of our enemies. But then we see another element in verse 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. 
They were three days in taking the spoil. And look at that last line. I like this. I like when the Word of God adds these phrases. It was so much. Isn't that great? It was so much. Like, why did the Word of God need to include that? Because they just want you to know it was so much. That, that, that sounds like something my two-year-old would say, right? It was so much, so much. But God is communicating to us the very thing that seems to be your obstacle, the very thing that seems to be your problem, the very thing that seems to be the impediment to where you want to get to is actually the delivery service of what you need. Why did they bring precious things into battle? It wasn't like Judah was attacking them in their own land. They were coming to Judah. I I think it's because they thought they were moving in. I don't know. It's speculation. I'm not going to die on that point. But they brought precious things. Why? Why are they carrying these loads with them when they're coming to fight? It just doesn't make that much sense to me. But they did. And it was so much. Whatever they brought was so much. But you know, they were just delivering it to the people of Judah. And so the first thing that the power of praise brings, it brings a routing. The second thing is it brings riches. It brings riches. And I'm going to come back to that because I'm not talking earthly riches, but I am talking a very, very distinct form of riches. We'll end on that. Look at verse 27. The third thing it brings, they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. It brings a routing. It brings riches. It brings rejoicing because of their enemies. What do you rejoice over? Now, rejoicing and praise, they're definitely sisters here, but there is a difference there too. And we are called to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, right? In uh, Philippians 4.4. 4. And we know why, because verse 3 comes before verse 4, right? In Philippians 4, as verse 3 always comes before verse 4. But in that case, verse 3 tells us that our names are written in the book of life. So there's always a time to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because when can we not rejoice if our names are written in the book of life? I mean, hello, uh, wake up. That's exciting. So that said, there is a time to rejoice always. But I also want you to see that praise, the power of praise is going to result in rejoicing. Because the power of praise is going to show the power the power of praise is going to show uh, the, the, the power of God. And the power of God is going to bring us once again to that point of rejoicing. So we see a rejoicing taking place. Again, we're going to end on all these things being combined together. Verse 29, the fourth thing we see it brings. The fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. What's the fourth thing? The fourth thing was respect. It brought respect from their enemies. See. We might fight for the respect of the pagan world. We might fight for, let's say, a a shift of mind from those that know not Christ. I think we do. I can see that through all the debates and arguments that take place in our world. But in all reality, what's actually going to earn the respect that we want the world around us to give? I don't care if they respect my opinion. I definitely care if they respect my God. And what's going to lead them to respect my God? Well, again, praise. As we praise, as we exalt the name of our God and the character of our God, and I hope this is just sounding like, like, man, you're, you're beating this horse to death. No. This is an invitation for each one of us. We get to leave here as people of praise. It's going to take, if I can say practice, 
it's going to take a lifestyle change. It's going to take a change in our prayer life. It's going to take a change in our devotional life. It's going to take a change in our corporate life. We're going to have to be intentional. I tell you, like really intentional. Like try it out. Why don't you do a 24-hour test after this? Seriously, 24 hours in your home. Just for 24 hours, only in your prayers, make 50% of your prayers praise. So even if you're just thanking God for the food and your prayer is about 10 seconds long, make the first five seconds praise. Just make incremental. Uh, what would it look like? How about in your journals? If you journal, what would it look like for half of your journal entry to be praise over the next 24 hours? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know what it's going to look like in your life, but just try it out. Start where you're at and see if God does not show himself. See if he doesn't start to work around you as you acknowledge his presence and what he wants to do. The final thing is this. It brings rest. Look at verse 30. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. Power of praise. It brings rest to our souls. We know that from Matthew chapter 11, don't we? Verses 28 to 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But as I, I gave you this list of five things, a routing, riches, rejoicing, respect, rest. I hope you don't miss the point of why that list was even shared. It wasn't shared because I felt like we needed another separate sub-outline. It was shared because this is the gospel. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. What I want us to realize is the power of praise is always an invitation for us to walk into because of Jesus Christ. He has routed our enemies. He has given us those riches in Christ in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. He has brought rejoicing because our sins are forgiven. He has brought, if I can say, respect from our enemies. And again, why ultimately? Because we, are, we learn in the book of Proverbs, but we learn elsewhere, that as we live godly lives, even those who are at odds with us, even those who oppose us, will recognize the difference in us. And then the final thing is, obviously, the power of Jesus Christ has brought us rest. It's brought rest from the weariness that this world presents before us. I'm not saying we're not tired. I'm not saying that we're not uh, loaded with different things. But I'll tell you this, that as we turn to praise, we're going to start to see our problems not necessarily dissipate, but we're going to start to see them in the right light. And we're going to start to recognize there's a far greater picture. So I stop there in these fi- this final minute. I want to just challenge each one of us, and I challenge myself, I challenge Priyanka, I challenge my home, and I challenge your home. What would it look like for praise to be our priority? What would it look like to prime the pump of every area of our life with praise? What would it look like to lead forth in praise? What would it look like to always lead in triumphal procession? Because that is where God is guiding us. We see Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You know what that tells me? It tells me that when we don't walk in praise, we are not following Jesus. That's a powerful statement. But that's 2 Corinthians 2.14 because he always leads us in triumphal procession. The only question is, are we following? So let's be people of praise. And isn't it great that nothing's changed in the outside world since we walked in here? All the problems still exist. All those 
nasty comments on social media are still going on. All your coworkers will probably be just as annoying in the morning. Half of them still won't show up for work. Whatever the case is, we'll still have our political issues. We'll still have our political differences. Nothing changed on the physical element. But when we lead forth in praise, we're going to start to see victory happen, and that's encouraging. We're not in bondage or held hostage by our circumstances. We're invited to walk in the victory already won for us. So, don't fight for victory. Fight from victory and lead forth in praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being yours. Thank you that in Christ Jesus we have victory. What, what, what do we know, Lord, from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven? that thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul reminded us in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you, Lord, that I believe in this room, I believe most, if not all, have given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank you that in Christ, (laughs) we win, we've won. And we can rest in that victory that he has accomplished on our behalf. So, Lord, may the world see this through the way we choose to see you enthroned in the daily, mundane moments of our life. This we pray to the glory of and praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.